0: Good morning. good morning. It's really good to see everybody. It's the first time in the history of maybe maybe all of humanity that we heard the two words code red and a collective cheer went up. That's just like code red. Woo! It's awesome. Except for Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, code red. That's good too. But This is that's about it. That's about it. All right, so we're going to continue on with our uh, series that we started last week, uh, called Parables, where we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus told. These are stories that Jesus told. Jesus had this uh, very Eastern religion way of of talking to people and teaching people lessons by by not saying, um, you know, like when we hear stories, we want to hear like the very last, like stories that teach a lesson. We want the very last thing that somebody says to us is, and the moral of the story is, and wrap it all up in a nice bow for us, right? Jesus really didn't do that very often. Um, he just told the story and let it hang out there. And I can only imagine that, like, you know, you got crowds of, of uh, you know, sometimes thousands of people listening to, you know, hanging on his every word, and he would tell these very cryptic stories. And, and I can imagine when you got a crowd gathered that way, I mean, if if he leaves them like scratching their head, like what's the reaction? I mean, not it's not cheering necessary. It's like mm, okay, did you understand what he was talking about? You know that sort of thing. And it just and just a lot, maybe a lot of confusion. And I th- I honestly think that it took a lot of you know maybe even a couple of decades or so of his disciples kind of processing his words. To go, man. Okay, I see now what he meant by that when he told that story. You know, th- little puzzle pieces are starting to fall into place, and 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 we even get cues from. And the fact the one we're going to read today is in. If you want to go ahead and turn over there, it's in uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're not there yet, but you can go ahead and uh, be preparing for that. Luke chapter 18. But he he the one he tells today. Luke uh, gives us a, a heads up, and he, and before he even tells the parable, he's like, Jesus told this parable so that you would know this, right? And and he. He kind of uh, spoils it for us there, but before, before we get into it, but this week's is a parable about prayer. I love this particular parable because it's it's really odd. I'll get to that in a second, but it's it's Jesus wanting to talk to us about prayer. Now, prayer is something that, as I've talked to people over the years, um, uh, people either have oh a growing relationship with prayer. I don't know that there's any expert prayers in the world, uh, you know, maybe, but maybe you you it's something you have latched onto and you feel like you're kind of growing. Uh, in that exercise of prayer, or i 've talked to a lot of people who just like it eludes them they 're just i 'm not sure like i don 't know if i 'm doing it right i don 't know you know is God even hearing what i 'm saying, and should I set aside a certain time? what if I fall asleep while i 'm praying you know is God going to strike me dead or you know whatever, and just all this kind of stuff and and so prayer I think for a lot of us is is uh, it can be a little bit confusing um, I know that there are a lot of different types of prayer. And for me, I've said this before, if you were to have a camera on me all the time, and please God, I pray that's not true. Um, But if you were to have a a camera on me all the time and to kind of see what my my prayer life looked like for me personally, um, a lot of it may not even be something that physically you would recognize as prayer. For me I'm just kind of in in and out communication with God all day long. Um very little time that I actually carve out to you know necessarily drop to my knees in prayer but I'm but but I might spend extended periods of time praying while I'm walking or driving or or just sitting on the couch staring at the floor or you know whatever or the ceiling and so it's I uh, I my prayer life I wouldn't say I have a Regular prayer habit, if that makes sense. I have a constant prayer habit, and and so it's just I'm just in constant communication with God. And sometimes that's through me um, speaking to Him. Most often it's through me just kind of quieting my soul and allowing Him to speak to me. And and so prayer looks like a lot of different things. We're gonna read a story that that Jesus told today of a woman who prayed persistent prayers. Persistent prayers are really important. And we're gonna talk about that more later. But when I think of persistent prayers. One of the examples I always think of is, is when uh, my my junior high daughter was uh, um, just a little girl, two, three years old, and every time she got the opportunity to pray, whether it was her bedtime prayers or praying over a meal, she always, always, every single time include included, and please, God, let us be able to go to Disneyland. Every single time. Every, every single time. and And this went on for years until finally... We had one of those uh, Christmas moments where we, we you know, uh, re- revealed to the family that we were all going to Disneyland and there was mayhem and chaos and screaming and all that kind of stuff. And and worship broke out for Isla in that moment, right? And so it was, her prayers had finally been answered after years of praying for Disneyland. So persistent prayer, that's the kind of prayer that we're talking about today. But there's other types of prayer too. Sometimes our prayers, um, it, it's not that we are looking for God to answer our prayer with a yes. Sometimes I just want an answer, and I don't care what the answer is. Um, I remember before Jamie and I came to Dixon, we were on a track to go plant a church in Austin, Texas. We had, for some odd reason, had impressed Austin upon our hearts, and we were thinking through that and praying through that. We had visited Austin and started making a plan. We had had established funding for the church plant, the the whole thing, and all along that way, as we, were, as we were praying through that, our constant prayer was, God, either open this door wide open or slam it shut. We don't care which, but we want to know either a strong yes or a strong no from you that this is the, this is the right or wrong path for us, right? And so it looked like a strong yes. Like I said, every, all the pieces were falling into place. And then one night, out of the blue, we got a call from our sending agency that basically said uh, we don't know, but we all got together praying last night, and we just felt like this wasn't right right now, and so it it was it was it dashed our dreams, and so that was a little bit depressing. But at the same time, I had to feel good that I had got my prayer answered. I prayed for a strong yes or a strong no, and God answered that right. And so, uh, so sometimes you just pray for whatever God's will is, even if it goes against your own will. And I, th- I think that's a healthy type of prayer to pray too. Um, sometimes prayers happen, and these are my favorites, where I didn't even initiate the prayer. The prayer was initiated by God. Did you know God can initiate prayer with you? That, that God can be the one who starts the conversation with you. And, uh, and, and this is where God gets me most of the time. And, and this is where it's really critical, I think. I mean, we live in such, such a, again, chaotic, busy, 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 um, um, world, just media, media everywhere, you know, that sort of thing. And it's really, really important, I think, for the follower of Jesus Christ to spend regular time being disciplined to quiet your soul, quiet your soul. And I, don't, I don't have to tell you what that looks like. I think it looks some, like something different for all of us. I know for Colette, a lot of time it's, it's getting out and doing some gardening and, and that sort of thing. And some, for Phil, it's going out on his longboard and, and you know, whatever, uh, both of those things sound horrible to me, right? But, but, but I, I know I, I've got my own ways of of quieting my soul and, and, and just kind of, I don't know, just pushing out all the distractions so that I can create space for God to speak to me if he wants to speak to me. And it doesn't always happen, but guess what? Even if you don't necessarily feel like you heard from God, it's still a good and healthy thing to quiet your soul. It's still just good physiologically for you to do that. And and so when you do that, when you do quiet your soul, occasionally God's voice creeps in, and you begin to hear Him initiate prayer with you. And I I always use you know the example of that's kind of what happened when when God impressed upon uh, Jamie and I to uh, adopt our fifth child, right? And um, uh, that was just out of the blue, like literally out of the blue. I would, adoption was not on my radar, and then God. Um, just impressed on me in a way that upset my apple cart, and me and God had a strong conversation that I won't go into. But it was it was you know it was this thing where God initiated that in me, and uh, and and kind of broke into my world and broke into my dreams and my agendas and rearranged things and said, no this is this is where I want you to go now, and and so God initiated that prayer. What I didn't know was that. What The prayer that God initiated in me, I'm going to start crying, the prayer that God initiated in me was the persistent prayer of Jordan. When Jamie and I broke the news to Jordan, uh, we were sitting at Black Bear Diner across the booth from her and asking her if she might want to be a part of our forever family. and And she immediately broke into tears and she said, I've been praying for months that I could be a part of your family. This is a little girl, right? <laughs> so... So her persistent prayers were God's interruption prayers in my life. And God weaves and works all that together, and prayers is just a beautiful and amazing thing. Amazing thing. And here Jesus tells us this really quirky story about how to uh, pray those persistent prayers, how to pray and not give up. Look what he says in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse one. It says this. By the way, has anybody ever, before I get into this, has anybody ever, ever had a meal where somebody does like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example where it's like potatoes two ways. You know what I'm talking about? That sort of thing where it's like something two ways. It's like, I'm going to prepare this, this fish, but I'm going to give you this, this version of it and then this version of it. I'm going to give you a mashed potato and a fried potato or whatever, right? And so we're going to get this parable two ways today. So I'm going I'm to give it to you the way that you're probably used to hearing it, and then I'm going I'm to serve it up to you a different way at the end. Okay, here we go. So Luke 18, uh, "'Then Jesus told his disciples a parable.'" This is Luke's little commentary here. "'Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up.'" All right, so that's, that's what we're talking about, right? Jesus says this, "'In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, "'Grant me justice against my adversary.'" Against my enemy, right? Right? So let me just give you a little background of, of what's going on here. Back in the day, when you, wanted, when you had a, an injustice that was done against you and you needed to bring your case before a judge, the judge just had this, this seat of justice place where he would hang out somewhere in the town, and people would just come to him, and they would line up, and they would wait to see him, and they would plead their case before him. You didn't have to schedule it you know, necessarily you know, weeks or months out or anything like, like it is today. You would just show up at the justice seat where the judge sat, the judge would hear your case, and he would make a decision, and that was that, right? And so normally, if, you, if, if, a, if a person had come and said, okay, my enemy has done something against me, uh, stole some money from me, or, or hasn't fulfilled a contract that we had, the judge would hear the case and go, okay, you pay him, you, you do whatever, or forget it all, or whatever. He would do that sort of thing, and you just had to, kind of had to live with that. Now, what happens here is that there is this judge Uh, um, that your footnotes in your Bibles a lot of time call the unjust judge. He's a judge that neither feared God nor feared people. He was just, he was his own God. His opinion was the end of it. He was the law. That was it. He didn't really care about anything or anybody. And there was this widow that just kept coming to him with the same plea, like his decision was not going to be good enough for her until she got the justice that she wanted, right? So she just keeps coming to him over and over, grant me justice against my adversary. Look what he says next, verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally, finally he says to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me, right? So here's this unjust judge, and he is just like she is just keep coming to him over and over. And he's like, man, I don't fear God. Like I hear what you're doing here, but I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't care anything about God. I don't care anything about you. I don't care anything about any of the rest of these fools out here. But, but she just keeps coming at him. But it's all right. Keep knocking. I don't care. I don't fear God. I don't. You know that knocking is starting to get really, really on my nerves, right? And 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 she just keeps persistent over and over and over to where he can't hardly hear his own voice or his own thoughts. And he's like, fine, fine, fine. If it'll get you, anybody ever done this with your kids? If it'll get you out of my hair, I'll give you anything you want right now, right? Right? That's what, we're all unjust parents at times, right? And so, so we do that thing where it's like anything to stop the noise, anything to stop the persistence, you know, and that's the nice way of saying it, right? But just get this person out of my face, I'll give them whatever they want. And this is, so this is the story that Jesus tells. It's such an odd story. Such an odd story. This then, look what he says next, verse six, and the Lord said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night?" So, first of all, one of the odd things about this story—it's just a quirky story to begin with—but Jesus compares God here to the unjust judge. It's an odd person for for to take on the character of God. Now, what I want to point out to you is that Jesus actually I misspoke. Jesus is not comparing God to the unjust judge here. He's contrasting God to the unjust judge. What he's saying is that if there's this unjust judge that doesn't care about any person or God or anybody else, and he'll eventually give people what they want if they're persistent enough, how much more will your Father in heaven, who loves you and cares for you and wants to give you good gifts, how much more will he step up and, 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 uh, and give you justice, right? So, so it's not a comparison, it's a contrast. And then he says this Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the way most of us have heard this taught our whole lives, and most anything you might uh, go find and read about it, commentaries or whatever, will tell you that, um, that this is just this really quirky story way for Jesus to kind of say, hey, whatever happens, don't give up. Whatever, whatever might hit you in your life, don't give up on God. Don't do it. He'll be there for you and you will get justice. And when Christ returns, he'll set all things right. He'll set all things right. And maybe there'll be fewer good people in the land than there used to be or whatever else, but stay faithful. Don't give up on God, right? So the first point I want to, want to draw out is this, and it's just a simple, simple point. Never stop praying for God to show up for you. Never. Stop praying for God to show up for you. I've known so many people over the years that have, have persistently prayed the same prayer for decades, decades, and not given up, only to see um, spouses come to faith in Christ that they never thought would cross that line of faith. Only to see parents cross that line of faith that they, would never, that they never thought would come to faith. Only to see time and money finally clear up to where they could pursue that degree that they had dreamed about getting for decades. Don't ever stop praying for God to show up for you. When you're close to a situation, especially, I'm going to talk about family for a second, because I think this is the one where I think, for me anyway, and for a lot of people that I talk to, it's the hardest. When you're closest to the people in the situation that you're praying for, and you know them and you begin to know the way they think, and you begin to know you know all the ins and outs of, of, of what drives them and motivates them or not, doesn't motivate them, and you know whatever all their pet peeves, then it's really easy to kind of give up and go, "Yeah, that, he's never going to come around. She's never going to come around, uh, especially when you're praying for someone's salvation. And I want to tell you, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Um, Certain people just take longer. And I don't know, I wish I I could give you a scientific formula behind that to tell you why that's true, but it's just true. Certain people just take longer. And and, and by the way, the truth is there will be some that that may not come around. They they may not come around. But I've seen God answer prayers in in short order when it comes to praying for people's salvation. I've seen God slow cook that person, just just crockpot them until until finally they're they're good and ready for the harvest and and they and they come around. And it might be something bizarre and out of the blue that that brings them around. Or nothing you ever say to them, but God brings another person into their life that suddenly now they're listening to or whatever you know, or another circumstance that just kind of tenderizes their heart. But whatever the case is, like like let God work in God's time. Trust the whole this is the hardest thing for us to, to do, especially with people that we love. Trust the Holy Spirit to work in a person's life in ways that you're powerless to work in their life. Trust the Holy Spirit. Plant your seeds. Plant your seeds. Trust the Holy Spirit to take those seeds and water them, fertilize them, and help them grow. Right. Just trust the Holy Spirit in that. But don't stop praying. Don't give up. Never stop praying for God to show up for you. It could be for a lot, like I said, a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be about someone's salvation. I bring that out because this is what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that God, God wants that person to come to faith even more than you do. Even more than you do. So never stop praying for the salvation of someone you love. Never, ever, ever. Right. Now, I want to go back to that last uh, slide that we, that we just read um, and, and kind of revisit it. Because as, I, as, I've, as I've been reading these, uh, these uh, parables over the years, over a lot, a lot of years, what I'm beginning to recognize is that, well, I mean, it's it's obvious right there. In fact, this is why the, you know people have to have them explained so often. Jesus' teaching in these parables is not readily um, evident. Sometimes it takes some head scratching and some thinking, and it's, okay, what was he trying to say there? What might that mean? And what I'm coming to learn through the reading of these parables is that so often we take the parables and we just simply apply them to our lives and we forget that they were spoken to a specific people in a specific time and they had a specific meaning to them. And I want to challenge you as you read the word, uh, as, as you think about, say, for instance, in this case, the words that Jesus was teaching, the people that he was teaching, it's good for you to personally absorb those words and go, how can I make this work for me? That's, that's part of why we preach sermons. We want to help you do that. We want to, we want to, you know, we want to do that together. But I think it's just as important to, to take a beat and go, what did, what did this possibly mean to them? Is it, is, did it mean something different to them that maybe, it, that maybe it is lost on me? And I think, there, I think there, there might be some other dynamic going on in this particular parable that the vast majority, majority of people have, have missed or ignored because it's just an, maybe not as relevant to our times. But I want to talk about it for just a second. I also want to say... This is my opinion, okay? I want to be careful to go, this is what I, I really believe this. I honestly, like I've I've spent some time praying through this, and I really believe this is true. I'll be honest with you, though, and go, I can't find but maybe one or two biblical scholars or commentaries that would back up my thinking on this. Like, Like the vast majority of people teach it the way I just taught it. So here's your potato served the second way, okay? Here we go. And you can take it or leave it because... It's mostly my opinion. All right, look back. Are we up there? Go ahead and put that next slide up. Here we go. Okay. So Jesus says this, and the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? And I want to I say a couple of things, that to, Jesus is speaking to an Israelite crowd who for hundreds of years had been persistently praying, God, release us from our oppressors, send your Messiah to set things right, right? This is the crowd that he's speaking to. I think it's possible that when, when Jesus is talking about his chosen ones, and some of your versions of your Bible might say his elect uh, in that passage, but even then, the, the Israelite, Israelite mindset of the elect was them. They were the chosen, God's chosen elected people, right? That, 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 would, that would be you know, who he would work in the world through. They were his chosen children, I think it's very possible that the chosen ones is referring, uh, Jesus in this story is, is directly referring to Israel who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. I'm gonna come back to that point right there. However, when the son of man comes, when the son of man comes. Now, anytime a good Israelite heard that phrase, son of man, they immediately, because of the way they had been indoctrinated and taught and everything else, when they hear this word, the term son of man, they immediately think, Daniel chapter 7, this is the prophecy of the Messiah coming, and he's referred to as the Son of Man. And so anytime a good Israelite refers to the Son of Man, they're referring to the Messiah, the Messiah. So so maybe he's talking to Israelites here, and maybe he's saying that when the Messiah comes, will he find faith on earth? And maybe what he's saying is, will you guys be able to see what's right here in front of you? Because the Messiah has come. I'm here right now. You are going to get justice quickly. It's going to be on the cross. It's happening right here, right now. The Messiah is here. Are you going to be able to see what God is doing right now in front of your eyes? I think it's very possible, very possible, that that's exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate in this passage. And You're like, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, I think there's a little lesson that we can, that we can kind of take from this. They were praying for a very specific Messiah. They, were praying for a, they wanted a Messiah who would come and rule as a majestic king, a, a mighty conqueror who would destroy Rome and set them free and bring them to a new age of prosperity and power and all of this kind of stuff. They had a very political, military Messiah in mind that they were praying for. And they had prayed for that Messiah for hundreds of years. And it's exactly why, in John chapter 1, uh, we read that, that, that Jesus came to his own and his own didn't recognize him. He came to his own and his own didn't recognize him. Why? Because they weren't open to kind of opening their eyes to see what God was doing. they had pigeonholed God into, you have to do it this way for me. Do it this way for me. So the point I want to leave you is that we're, is as we are developing lives of prayer and persistent prayer and never giving up on God to show up in our lives and do, do you know, just really show up for us, as we're doing that, make sure you're doing this too. Make sure you're praying to the God of the Bible, not the God of your mirror. Make sure you're praying to the God of the Bible, not the God of your mirror. You're like, what, what, "Why?" And I know none of us in this room, not one of us in this room would hold your hand up and go, yeah, I think I'm God. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I know we don't think that way. But can I just throw this out there? That if you serve a God who agrees with literally all of your opinions, you're not serving God. You're not serving God. I've learned over the years that God doesn't agree with a lot of the things I think. If you serve a God who agrees with all of your opinions and all of your outlooks, Maybe you're serving the God of the mirror instead of the God of the Bible. You're like, I don't want to go too deep into that. I just want to say the way you can discern that is to get to know the God of the Bible. Get to know the God of the Bible. As much as we should be persistent and regular in our prayer life and have that growing, you need to grow in your, not just simply a knowledge of the Bible, but a knowledge of the God of the Bible. Get to know him. Get to know how he thinks what he's passionate about, what does he call religion, what does he call freedom, what does he call salvation, what is, you know, all, all, this, all of this kind of stuff, like, like get to know what makes him tick. Because I don't want to be the one serving the God of the mirror. I want to be serving the God of the Bible. Amen? Let's do that. Now, it takes some discipline. It takes some pain. I want to think Jesus thinks like I think. I want to think Jesus thinks like I think. But the truth is, is that when I dig in there, oftentimes, Jesus doesn't think like I think, and I need to adjust my thinking to the thinking of Christ. So Be disciplined and humble enough to kind of hold all of your ideas and all of your opinions and your viewpoints about life with an open hand and go, God, this I, I feel strongly about this or whatever, but, but I want you to impress upon me how you feel, what your opinions are. Maybe you don't have an opinion about a certain thing, and so I don't have to be so dogmatic in my opinion, right? But whatever the case may be, just kind of try to approach it the way Christ would approach it to the best of your ability. We're all human. We have human, flawed minds. So we're going to make mistakes from time to time. I I can promise you, promise you, I've been preaching in front of you guys for 13 years now, and I can promise you that I can look back on sermons I preached 10, 12, 13 years ago, less time than that, and go, oh, I, I hate that I preached that sermon. I hate that I said that. I was so wrong. I was so mistaken. That's just, that's, but that's okay. That's part of growing. That's part, that's, that's part of maturing. We all go through that. Hold your thoughts and your opinions. Let me just tell you something. If you still have all the same, not only that, that point I just made, that if you, serve, if you serve a God who agrees with all your opinions, that's not God, but if you still have the same opinions at 30, 40, 50 years old that you had when you were 20, something's off. Something's off. Because you were not at your brightest at 20, trust me. Trust me. I'm not, I'm not disparaging 20-year-olds. They're beautiful, beautiful people. But you have some growing to do. I've got growing to do at almost 50, right? We all are constantly growing and maturing. So allow God to move in you and allow the Spirit to transform you, to transform your thinking, even to transform the way that you read the Bible. I used to preach the Bible in ways that I, I regret now preaching the Bible because I realized that maybe it was a too simplistic view and I was missing the point. Allow God to shape you and transform you, amen? Do that, do that. But don't give up. As we close, I just want to, I know that there are some of you right now because I know for for health reasons, for financial reasons, for relationship reasons, whatever, the last several months have been hell on some of you. They've just been hell on you. I know that there are some of you that are this close to giving up. And maybe you already crossed the line of giving up, but somebody important to you dragged you here today. I know you're, you're this close. You're just right there on the cusp of giving up. And I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up on a God who will never give up on you. This is a season. It's a season. You know, we'll have other seasons. We'll have better seasons. We'll have victorious seasons. But this is a season. God is not done with us. Hold on to that. God is not done with us. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for quirky stories that make us scratch our heads and uh, you know, they're just odd maybe to us. But we thank you for the lessons that lie in those if we, if we mind them deep enough. So God help us to stay faithful to you because you will always be faithful to us. Help us to not give up. Help us to pray not just for yeses, but for noes as well. Help us to quiet our souls so that we can hear you because we're not the only ones that need to be talking. You've got some things to say too. Help us to learn the art of having a conversation with God. And God, help us to approach you humbly, as humbly as we possibly can, not assuming that everything that we think or are passionate about that you agree with, but God allowing you to shape our thoughts and our feelings and our directions. And God, for those in the room right now that are so close to just giving up, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be real and powerful and present to them right now, right now in this moment. Would you just wash over them with a feeling that lets them know that you are not done with them yet, you have not abandoned them. And God, we look forward to better days, but we look forward to you using us and doing great things in the days we live in right now. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. It has been good to be in this house today. Amen. Amen. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next week.